Hello and welcome to the podcast, Enemies from War to Wisdom. This podcast is dedicated to unpacking the often confusing and painful issues that surround human hostilities. In this way, we hope to open the door to greater curiosity, dialogue, and discovery between people who are poised to be enemies, those who are opposed to each other or have been hurt and rejected by each other. Our goal is to help us all enter into the wisdom that prevents chronic conflict from leading to alienation, fragmentation, or war. I'm your host, Eleanor Johnson, a videographer and artist who is the director of Emma Troop, an experimental theater laboratory in New York City. And I'm here with co-host Polly Young-Eisendratt. She is an author, speaker, psychologist, and psychoanalyst. While we come to these topics from each our own perspectives, Polly and I bring insight from our own lifelong dedicated practices of Buddhism that inform everything we do and think. We hope you find our conversation useful and that you will join us again and again. And now the podcast. So thanks for joining us. I think we need to tell our listeners why we're doing this, what it means to us, what it means to each of us, because we have some different, I think some different and some similar goals in doing this. So just tell me what it means to you. Why are you doing this podcast? What are you hoping for uh, from this uh, adventure in conversations? Well, in many ways, what I'm, what I'm hoping for is greater understanding and, and clarification as we explore these more advanced levels of working with our minds. Um, what I want to start with, though, is, you know, I'm a I'm a creative artist who's been working on the themes of war and peace most of my adult life in, in all of the uh, new stories that I and my team are building. And I'm here with Polly, a dear friend of mine who lives on a mountaintop in Vermont, and I'm a New Yorker. And I'm kind of taking a little bit of time away from the big city. And, you know, I'm here with, with a woman whose work I respect so deeply, and we're two wise women and two women who care deeply about the world and what's going on in the world right now. And because we also have been working with consciousness and all of these new modalities, it's like we just wanted to see if we could go a little bit deeper. Because right now we're also so aware of this way that you know our country is being divided and all of these enemies that are popping up all over the place. But we wanted to kind of try to distill it down. And so my hope is that we can find these new tools that will help all of us in our life just become much more grounded and, and more capable of transforming, you know, very difficult circumstances for all of us when we get plugged in or triggered. And, um, and so I thought it was really a worthy thing to, to, to start a conversation about. And also, you know, we're both two wise women, so we're looking at this from a conscious female point of view, the conscious mm -hmm. feminine, if you want to call it. Um, and we're both, you know, very much in the world. So um, it's an experiment, and um, I just feel it's very worthy of our time. So you mentioned a couple of times that we are two women. I mean, I hope we're wise. We're wise enough anyway. Yeah. We've lasted this long, and <laughs> we've been true. around for a while. But um, t do, you, do you have a feeling for why women need to be in this conversation? I know that there are a lot of men in the conversation. I really do appreciate uh, commentators like um, Sam Harris and Seth Rogen and others who try to talk about the gnarly, difficult issues that are a part of our world today, particularly here in the U.S., but I think really in all developed countries, actually. 
Um, so I appreciate that there are a lot of men in conversation. I don't hear a lot of women in conversation. What do you think women might add to the mix? Like why, why should it be women? I don't know if the question is why should it be women? I think why isn't it more women? I think when we really, again, you know, go deeper, I think women have a very different, I don't know, understanding or experience of the relational. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in all our lives, in our families, in our personal lives, you know, we're, we, we, we have maybe more experience with caretaking and caregiving and yeah. taking good care of the preciousness of human life and right. the preciousness of what we care about. Our families, that which we love, our environment, our earth, everything. Mm -hmm. and, and I think men wrestle with very different issues in a different way. And, and I think also there's so much going on right now. Yet again, with you know women coming forward with their voices and their point of view, and the way they understand their difference and what their contribution is. I'm an artist. I've devoted my entire life to my work in the creative field. I started my own laboratory back in 1973. I have done nothing my entire life since that time that has not been wrestling with these these larger human issues I mean, of war and peace. Of war and, and peace, conflict. or when you know we went in search of the true meaning of peace, or we were asking questions around what is democracy, or you know what is justice, equality. What are all these gender differences? So you know, and we're builders of new stories. Where we work with the imagination, we work with the human heart. We we have a commitment to nonviolence. We you could say we have a dream that mm -hmm. it's possible for us to find ways to get along where we don't have to drop atom bombs or we don't have to hold a cost. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't have to divide and separate and blame and judge and do all these things. And So, I so, mean, in terms of, yeah. I think, you know, uh, certainly women, like you said, and I think it's important to remember, we do bring a different perspective. Yes. Because we are involved often in the caregiving part of life and I think that we recognize, even if we don't have our own children, we recognize what goes into making a human life, that there is so much effort, there's so much care that goes into everyone's life. Anyone who's walking around has had somebody who's really taken care over time and tried to sustain that person. So there's a, a lot of energy and effort that goes into each life. And so to destroy something or even to leave a life without meaning Right. Uh, those things, I think, are probably in some ways more palpably obvious to women. I mean, those of us who have children, like I have grown children and grandchildren and so on, I see how my children are struggling, and I want their lives to be meaningful and fulfilling, not simply to be surviving, but to actually have meaning in the world. So all that goes into that, uh, the building of meaning, the building of relationships, I think women are really keenly aware of that. Um, one of the other things, for what it's worth, uh, women have not been uh, the war makers. That's right. That on a larger scale, and you could say, well, possibly that's because we haven't had the weapons available to us. Mm -hmm. I also very deeply believe that women have all of the hostile motivations that yes, men have. Yes. Uh, that's a human quality. Yes, that's yes. not gendered. Yes. For whatever the reasons, women have not been the war makers. And overall, you might say that women have invested in the history of uh, cultures and societies. They've invested in being the, the kind of makers and sustainers of life. 
And so they have been reticent to kill other humans. But again, I'm not saying that women don't have all the same kind of hostile kinds of concerns and motivations. But I do think that the focus that we have in a life as a woman often is more on relationship and care and sustaining of life. And that gives us a different kind of perspective. Um, and maybe also we get to act it out in our relationships more than we do in, the, say, the outer world. Yeah, sometimes family, that's true. You, I mean, yeah, if you look yeah. at the family also as a microcosm of the world at large, you know, macro, micro, I agree with you in terms of we carry all of that as well. It's not just that men carry the violence. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. In terms of this podcast, having a conversation with another woman who's a friend of mine, whose work I admire who has a slightly different lens for looking at the Mm -hmm, world mm -hmm. is the reason why I want to have it with you. Yes, of course, we're here on the side of the mountain and we have some time to do this. But I see this as the beginning of a larger conversation Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. I would like to bring others in on eventually. The thing that seems to me so important to clarify is that we talked about it in the first show that we are none of us the victims of our circumstances we are always contributing to how things evolve in our own lives and so once we become aware of how we ourselves contribute to the hostilities contribute to the sense of creating an other in order to feel confident with belonging you know when we see how we do that as women And when we see how we do that as human beings, then we have the possibility of not doing it. Until we see it, we can't stop it. And I wanted to just remind our listeners, Polly, as we are talking about developing deeper tools to to work with our minds and to be able to, to discover places that we've never been before. I'm looking at it much more as an evolutionary leap in terms of this whole field of mindfulness and also open-heartedness. You know, there's so much going on in the world, so many extraordinary people doing great, great work, but I think you're bringing something in that really isn't talked about. I see it as a much deeper awareness, and, and that fascinates me because I'm learning also as I'm in this conversation with you. I'm fascinated interested, and I want to discover, you know, new tools mm-hmm. to work with this because we're all in this dance. Yes, and I think I began to recognize the need for something like this podcast by listening to other podcasts and finding that there's a lot of really important interaction and information out there, but there's also a limit, and I feel where one of the big limits is, is in regard to identifying humanity and human beings as being different from the other animals that are here. And that is not to say that we are better than or smarter than. We simply are different from. And the ways that we're different from, which we talked about in the first show, having to do with our capacity to look at our own thoughts and feelings, to actually, as Jean Piaget, the Swiss biologist and psychologist, says we operate on our own thoughts and feelings. Other animals don't do that. And so as human beings, we have this capacity to step back from our motivations and look at what are the consequences if I say this, if I do this, and do I want to create those consequences? So this human capacity, which you said in the first show almost seems saintly, is actually something that's quite 
natural. And if we develop it and we recognize it, it gives us a freedom that none of the other animals have. So are you saying, Polly, that you do believe that human beings are capable to live in peace? Actually, I think that's a big leap. Uh Since it's never happened, Uh I'm not sure. So, I mean, my feeling is, I think that human beings, I believe, are capable of a more thoughtful, reflective path or set of actions in regard to conflict than we're taking right now. I don't know if that will lead to world peace or any kind of really enduring peace, simply because it requires a kind of high level of engagement and not everybody arrives together at a high level of engagement. I mean, we're all different individuals. We are at different levels of concern and involvement. And so whether we could ever all get to a point where we could use our unique human intelligence to allow ourselves to step back from our impulses, I don't know. I mean, I think that would be uh, really remarkable if it could happen. But what I do think is we have right now the, in a way, necessity to open up those questions about what else can we do because our country is breaking down and fragmenting into various coalitions that seem to be very much at odds with each other. And I want to say simply because it's again one of my values in regard to this podcast, I do not identify with being either left or right politically. I, I'm the same. Yeah, yes. I, I don't see myself, I, like Leonard Cohen, I'm neither left nor right and I'm staying home tonight. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I see myself as somebody who's trying to reflect from my perspective up here on the mountain uh-huh. on the issues of conflict and difficulty, trying to understand also what happened in our country with the election of Donald Trump and then with the division of apparently um, what you could call liberal and conservative thinking and media and so on. I'd like to see that in reflection and in relation to the problems that I see in couples these days because I do something called dialogue therapy for couples and what I see coming into my consulting room is a lot of struggle over equality and reciprocity where people feel that their needs aren't being met on an equal basis or that the partner has failed to be reciprocal or that the partner doesn't pay attention in the way that that individual feels he or she pays attention. So I see this kind of fight that is going on between partners in intimate relationships, and I know how they step through it and what has to happen in order for them to get to a point where they can actually then solve their problems and their conflicts because they can work through a conflict. And I think that process can teach something. Right to the general public and also from the point of view of understanding how these various subgroups get going right. against each other. And so, so. you're going in your, when, 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 when these individuals become your clients, you are working with, you know, awakening awareness and you're also working with new dimensions of consciousness mm-hmm. as tools for the couple. 
-hmm. so that they can break them out of these habitual patterns or but just again for all of us we all are in this process of waking up in a new way right now many people simply feel confused or afraid maybe not that they're waking up in a time of crisis there's always the possibility of waking up there's also the possibility of simply reacting and doing the same old thing. Right. So those possibilities are always existing hand in hand. There's not one thing or another that necessarily is going to develop. Mm -hmm. One thing that I have when a couple comes into my consulting room, I usually have two highly motivated individuals. Typically by the time they reach my consulting room and uh, also the costs of dialogue therapy on a number of levels because it also puts the couple into conflict in a way. So there are emotional costs, there are financial costs, and there are costs in regard to your own anxieties, etc. By the time people reach me, they really, really do want somehow to change. They don't generally feel that they themselves need to change as much as the partner needs to change, but they do know that they can't go on in the way they've been going because they're exhausted. They're just exhausted from unresolved conflicts. They're exhausted from the repetitive feelings of being with an enemy, that they can't trust the other person, that the other person intentionally hurts them, etc. It's those things that I feel when I'm working with a couple, they translate well into a cultural and social setting. However, where they don't translate so well is I have these two highly motivated people. When we're out in the world, and we're working with groups of people when I'm talking with groups of people or I'm going out to do a teaching or whatever, the people that are listening to me may or may not be as motivated as those folks that come, right. come exactly. into therapy. Well, um, I mean, even bringing up the, I mean, that's an important um, point, actually, motivation. Motivation. A willingness to change or a willingness to believe that you can change or a willingness to trust or to have faith that you can believe or even that you to could think maybe or know, even that, think that yeah, you that, could that's... you could change that it's so so part of it you know when we get so stuck i mean in my work when i took on the big themes you know of walking the tracks of you know birkenau and you know and and, and dealing with you know the spiritual repercussions of adam bomb and holocaust on the psyche of an american born in 48 you know, I, I had to have this belief or or even maybe this dream that it was possible for us to do it differently or that maybe we, we took it to such an extreme that now we have an opportunity to really do it differently because we went to those extremes of, of violence and destruction. It's just very, very, very powerful stuff. Yeah, very powerful. You, you like I uh, am a baby boomer. I think all of us were very marked by World War II. That's right. And what happened, I think that, you know, you and I are baby boomers. We were very marked by the violence of World War II. When we came to understand the Holocaust and what happened in Nazi Germany, when we came to understand what the U.S. did to Japan, we began to see that the level of violence because of the capacities we have in our technology and also because of the um, dehumanizing capacities that we all have. We saw that things seemed to have reached a crescendo right. in World War II that we would never want to reach again. Now, I have to say that I believe that is specific to our generation. I think other generations have seen the same kinds of destruction Holocaust and violence in other parts of the world, mm -hmm. in other times, in other That's civilizations, right. 
any it's been a pattern it's a pattern any as far back as you look to any achieved culture there has always been hierarchy oppression abuse slavery and holocaust and so also being able to step back and look at what the past teaches us we're poised in the world right now where once again things are moving towards such an extreme that why are we thinking that this is not possible again i think that at this moment there is something happening that hasn't been unpacked and that i don't even know how to put it into words but let's say the term that gets used is populism Uh uh, or strongman populism. Mm -hmm. Something is happening among some people that they feel more secure by circling the wagons and basically saying, we don't want to change our traditions. We don't want to give up the little bit that we have we're going to try to protect ourselves. So that seems to be happening in a number of places in the world, not just in the U.S., Mm -hmm. where there's a a new kind of populism. Mm -hmm. I would say that from my point of view, I do not understand yet really what happened in the last U.S. presidential election when Donald Trump got elected, because I didn't actually think he was going to be elected. I don't think he thought he was going to be elected. And I certainly don't think his opponent thought he was going to be elected. Not that I have a crystal ball. Nobody seemed to actually think that he was going to be elected because he didn't look like a presidential type. He looked like some other type. So something changed, and I don't know exactly what it was. So possibly that's an opportunity for something new. Possibly it's the same old thing, but at least we can question it in a new way. The one thing that I have seen in my lifetime that is really a big change is the way that couples interact. When I was born and grew up with my parents, they were in a marriage that was based on hierarchy and not on personal feelings. You know, my parents got married in a church. They made a promise until death do us part. They did not much like each other. I would say my mother would kind of hated my father from everything I could tell. And my father maybe liked her better, but never was able to really speak to her as an individual person. My parents lived in that generation where the traditions were the containers and where the vows were impersonal until death do us part. Mm -hmm. In my generation, and then even more so now, there was a shift in intimate relationship from the idea, first of all, that you should choose anybody you wanted or felt attracted to, not somebody who was from your tribe or who was from your background. And two, that once you chose the person, you needed to be recognized as an equal. Particularly, this is true now. You're not going to go into a hierarchy. There's not one gender who's going to be in charge. There's not one person in the relationship who's going to run the show. used to be that sort of, Women ran the show in the house and men ran the show outside of the house in most industrialized cultures, most um, societies where the man was the breadwinner. Uh Now it's going to be nobody is running the show. They're going to be two breadwinners and nobody's going to have final call on the whole thing. And then the third part of it is now in relationships, people want to be known and seen as individuals. They want to be recognized This is the kind of person I am. These are the things I like. They want to be held in mind. They want to witness. So 
choosing a partner that is not from your tribe and then trying to live with mutuality and equality as your ideals and then wanting a witness, these conditions are extremely challenging. So they set up a new possibility for consciousness to develop mm -hmm. because human beings have never tried to live mm -hmm. like this before. Mm -hmm. So true. in That's that true. way, I think yeah. there is something yeah. new, but I think the big new thing is equality in couple relationship. Right. It's never been here. It was never a part right. of things. I don't know if we can do it. Yeah. You know, just like I don't know if we can get to a point where we're able to really speak to our enemies on a national level. I don't know if people, when they're feeling very hurt and very ostracized right. by the partner, can really work through that. I've seen people do it, right. and I think it's possible, and I think we're on a new track, but I'm not sure it'll work. I think work. also, like, to, to, to look at it from the personal point of view, and also as, you know, again, two wise women talking, is that because we're also facing the fact now where there's a freedom to divorce, Oh, yes. And divorce. the yes. stigma of divorce has been lifted. Yes. And so, you know, if you have a partnership that breaks down and then one decides, well, I'll just get rid of it. Yeah. I'm going to walk away from it, which That's is what right. I've done in my own life yeah. after 20 yeah. years of a marriage with someone that I, I really valued. So in a sense, you could say stepping back, you know, you're facing your partner or your lover or your husband or who, you know, was at one time a beloved and now is an enemy. Yeah. Or is something that you want potentially to potentially an enemy? Potentially, yes. 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 Most cases, yes. it doesn't end up where you divorce and just your best friends. I mean, yeah, everyone's that's while right. you, you, yeah. you find that. Yeah. But so that that too, learning to work on that level, or you could say it between you and your child. Yeah, your adult child. Your adult yeah, child. When they're equals with right, you, and right, they want right. to be seen as an equal. Right. Like in my generation too. Now, and we have you know we're dealing a lot with grandchildren, but I mean that's been a real problem in a lot of people's lives. Okay. Kids just saying, "I've had it. I can't discuss this with my parents," and leaving, and 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 again, the 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 dialogue is broken down. The, yes. The, the yes. relationship is There's broken down. There's a feeling down of and, threat on both sides yeah, that, that people yeah, feel very yeah, threatened yeah, if their yeah, adult child yeah, doesn't yeah, speak to them and, yeah, and the yeah. adult child is also feeling self-protective yeah. the interesting thing you mentioned about divorce is that so divorce actually made it possible then to have something more like equality because right. you're not being oppressed in the relationship having to stay right. against your will That's right. however it also makes it very possible to frame the other person as the enemy and then try to get away from that person as a solution to your problems. Consequently, and this is something again that I think I want to point out as a baby boomer, in my life space, my friends and to some extent even the people I see in therapy, there are many, many capable people who have a wonderful spiritual practice who do not live in a couple relationship. They have stopped living in a partnership. Either they got divorced or somebody left them or somebody died and they didn't then take a new partner. And I think there's a big question about why. Why is that the case? Why are there so many people? And it's true also of young white men, they're living more alone. And then particularly women in the baby boomer generation, older women are living more alone. Well, one of the things and I found, say, someone who's lived in, I live in urban centers, I'm in either mm -hmm. in New York City or I'm in Paris or London or but another urban center. One of the things that I find that's been really just wonderful in my life is that, yes, so many of us are not in partnerships now. We were, but we're not. But we're in community in a way that is so extraordinary. 
when we talk about all of these different things, I mean, we have a, a certain kind of awareness around that, but we've become very dedicated to our communities and using relational qualities to take very good care of those, in a sense, new families. Yeah, so yeah. that's a different aspect than anything I knew in my early years of my 20s, 30s, and 40s or when I was in a marriage. I mean, I would like to talk about this further because I also think that friendships and friendship communities are developing in a new way, and especially for people who live alone. Yeah. But I also think it's not a crucible like a partnership mm -hmm. is. In other words, I think some of the reason why there are these friendship communities is that a lot of people began to avoid the partnerships once they were able to say, oh, goodbye, you know, I will make it on my own here. Then they began to avoid the partnerships. And I think it's because there is within these equal partnerships that, and particularly where there's a committed relationship, there's a kind of a squirmy feeling like you can't really easily work through the notion that the other person's at fault because the other person has done so many things and you have all of this evidence that you've collected. So this is a big leap, but I think that it's a little like the way a lot of left-leaning people feel about Donald Trump. They feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got the evidence that this guy is an idiot. I've got the evidence that this guy is a bully. They don't say to themselves, for example, I really don't know Donald Trump and I see he's acting in these ways. And, and really the way that Donald Trump is acting is not so different than the way that Donald Trump acted before. I mean, he's just being Donald Trump as the president rather than Donald Trump as the reality TV person or Donald Trump as the playboy or Donald Trump as the millionaire, all of which I knew very little about. But it's not as though Donald Trump is different. It's that now that he's in this role as president, a lot of people feel free to say they're he's the enemy. Away. They're being he's shocked the into awakeness in, in a sense because they're looking at the, the you know, the downside of what's happening. You know, in terms of the social structure of our country. Well, no, I'm sort of saying something different yeah, there. Yeah. I'm saying that but he I, is kind of like yes. the partner that you want to blame. Yeah. yeah. When we divorce a partner, and yes. I've divorced yes. also. We generally divorce because we feel like that person is to blame. We don't walk away from a partnership or a marriage easily. It's very painful to lose a marriage. It's painful for everyone because of attachment bonds, because we've experienced grief. So we walk away because we feel, I tried. I have the evidence. This person is really mean or bad or a bully or... Indifferent, indifferent or, or disrespectful or whatever. Or abusive. Abusive. There's a way that the partnership crucible is different from the friendship community. And that one reason why I like to look specifically at that partnership thing is because of the ideal of equality. Democracy has the ideal of equality. Right now, we are trying to bring that ideal into our intimate relationships. It is a very high ideal, and there's a lot to unpack in it. But when we say that a democracy actually guarantees the rights of all individuals, we mean that there are some rights that are equal. The rights are 
for all individuals. And so you're also trying to kind of reference uh, in, in what you're saying, this way that we have to keep creating scapegoats. Yes. What's the purpose behind that? You know, why do we have to have a scapegoat? Even if, why do we have to have a scapegoat to kind of find our own truth about the situation? Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's no, like, it's a, it's, I think that's yeah. a very good question. And so you're I, talking about Donald Trump, which is huge now because he's the president. You know, it's like the father is sick, he, the father he, of the he country is. He is a great scapegoat. He's a great scapegoat. Because you can download way. all of your sins into him. Yeah. Yeah. And then you basically yeah. feel free of yeah. them yourself. So the original scapegoat, of course, was a sacrificial animal right, right. that was taking the sins of the community right, away. Right, right. So in a family or in a couple relationship, we need a scapegoat if we cannot go through conflict together. Because if people are going to be equals, every family, every couple is going to have a lot of conflict because people don't have the same desires, the That's same right. needs. So they're going to have to negotiate they're going to have to go through the conflict. Right. If you can't do that, then what you can do often that lets the steam out is you kind of say, oh, all of this is her problem. She created difficulties for our family. So we're going to stop speaking to her because she creates all the problems. She's the one who sets up all these difficulties and she's the bad one here. And so we're going to try to get rid of her. And similarly, in a, a couple relationship, it's the divorce. It's the other person is the one. So I'm going to divorce this person. What happens with the scapegoat is that we get rid of, we kind of feel as though we're running the bad guy out of town. That's such a time-honored belief is that when you meet the enemy, it's not kind of your average normal way of thinking, well, how do we disarm the enemy? Or how do we you know, make sure the enemy is understood? Or how do we take the enemy into ourselves? Or all of these different things. I mean, it's, we're so conditioned to think, you know, this is right and this is wrong. Yeah, and to feel like somebody else actually is the this, one yeah, who yeah. Is, has done yeah. it. And, and yeah. you know, I was, when you said, when we meet the enemy, and I was thinking years ago in the Pogo comedy strip, Pogo would say, I met the enemy and it was me. Yeah. You know, yeah. and actually, really, our deep, true enemy is the kinds of destructive emotions that we do not allow ourselves to feel and then we enact them right. towards someone else. So our true enemy is something that is internal and we have to actually work with it right. with our natural human intelligence right. to refine it and right. then it's no longer an enemy. Then it's actually a kind of a wisdom because we can look deeply into ourselves and we see the motivations, we see the same kinds of self-protectiveness, we see the same kinds of bullying, we see the same kinds of retaliation and so on. We see in ourselves what we thought belonged to the other person. Right. And then we can actually work with it because we do know that right. we have it in our own pocket and we can work with it. And so, you know, again, going back to, you know, why are we doing this podcast, but to be able to, you know, share with others this, just awakening the notion of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Wisdom. I mm -hmm. mean, and we haven't even mentioned the word like spiritual, mm -hmm. or in terms of how do we illuminate that value system? Is that something that, is it the heart of democracy, or is it the heart of a totalitarian mindset, or does it come from the world of the human heart and the world of the imagination that's tied to these deeper spiritual, mm -hmm. very, very, mm -hmm. the higher octave of our humanness, our homo sapienness? You want to say sort of it is the higher octave. I would say 
our humanity is available to us, all of us pretty much, and it always does rest on our ability to work with ourselves, right. our ability to look at our own motivations and our own intentions before we act. I think that that is a fundamental human capacity, but we often jump over it towards ideals and problem solving that are premature and create more hostility. So my feeling is that maybe, you know, at this particular moment in time, when we're trying to value equality and we're trying to value in a new way, the respect of each individual, maybe at this period of time, there's going to be the development of this natural human capacity to look at ourselves. And by looking, I don't mean in a psychoanalytic way, yeah. I mean more like yeah. to take a step back in right. a moment right. where you want to create the other person as the problem and really ask yourself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this right, right. now? Right. Where is it going to lead? Right. Where is it going? For what purpose? For yeah. what purpose? Yeah. And so I do feel there's something about this moment in time that there's a new possibility. I don't know if we can really go there. I don't know if it, it really is the beginning of something like being able to live with greater peace. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think there's no way to get to greater peace without beginning with this. Because if we just keep on yeah. creating the feeling like that person's wrong, that person's stupid, that person is a bully, yeah. that person's yeah. doing it wrong, this is just an endless, endless yeah. actually making of enemies, conflicts, yeah. wars. And I hope that as we continue in the series together that we can also, you know, just come up with different ways of talking about this terrible separation in our country so that we can develop this awareness around listening to that which is so different from us. Also coming to a place where we want to take care of the democracy that is ours. Instead of just being, you know, dealing with all of this terrible, terrible negativity around, you know, what's going on with Donald Trump and that administration or whatever. You could say, I want my family to work better. I want my country to work better. I want my earth to work better. You know, just finding a way to just bring more and more awareness to how we work with our minds around all of this and how we work with our hearts. Good. I think we're on the same page on yeah, that one. Yeah. And so let's uh, say this is the end of our show today, which was really our own over review of why we're doing this podcast yeah, yeah. and to yeah. say thank you to all our listeners for being here with us and and then the next time we will be back to talk about conflict we're going to talk Excellent. about conflict at every level everything from oh boy the family and the couple <laughs> to war great okay, okay. thank, thank, you, thank you thank you <laughs> thanks so much for listening and to continue the conversation you can follow us on facebook instagram and twitter you can find past episodes of the podcast on itunes stitcher google play and Castbox. enemies from war to wisdom is recorded and produced by chris coltrane